0: and welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is episode 71 for Tuesday, June 21st, 2011. And as usual, I am Paul Fox, and joining me from a hidden location here in the fragrant harbor, sheltered from the coming typhoon, is Mr. Kevin Ma.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back, Paul, from the uh, Mormon Mormon land.
0: Yes, I was in uh, Utah for a couple days attending a little... uh, podcasting conference called Nerdtacular, um, mostly focused around the shows of uh, Singular creator Scott Johnson, who we've interviewed here on a previous episode, and all of the many podcasts that he has done himself and that he has sort of reached out to to bring into the fold under his Frog Pants Studios. And he has this annual event um, each year, and it's gotten bigger each year, and in previous years they've basically just gone out and you know a bunch of geeks getting together and talking stuff and going out and watching a movie this year though he has turned it into a sort of a full-on convention he had a number of different podcasters there um, as panelists mostly people from his his network and his shows but there were people coming in from all over the place other podcasters who do their own shows And I got a chance to meet and mingle and talk shop with uh, different people. Most notable um, outside of uh, Scott Johnson himself was people like uh, Nick McKinney of the 20 Questions podcast. Um, The Valentines, uh, Jay and Renee Valentine have their own sort of husband and wife team podcast that they do. And a lot of smaller podcasters out there um, came and many people who had originally been influenced by Mr. Johnson and the work that he does. To sort of go off and start their own podcasts. So it was a nice chance to get together and sort of uh, be a little bit geeky for a few days, but really to talk to other podcasters and and share ideas and, and, and talk about the work that we do. Um, so I, I learned some things, I met some new people, had some nice networking. I'd like to go again uh, if time and money permit, but the only reason I was able to go this year was because of the wonderful thing known as frequent flyer miles. um yeah having built up 10 years worth of frequent flyer miles i was actually able to purchase my transportation uh for the low low price of forty dollars in taxes um so yeah considering the the, what the standard ticket rate would have been uh, that was a pretty good deal and so the wife let me go (laughs) um so i was very fortunate to have that chance made it back safe just in time for a typhoon don't worry it's just a tropical depression yeah it looks like the Li Ka Sing typhoon deflector is working in full force though yeah it's kind of gonna skirt
1: by Um, skirt by and it's gonna bring lots of rain and lots of well rain so
0: you think we're gonna get a signal number eight or just a signal number three or what
1: (laughs) that hasn't happened since i started working so you know (laughs) When the day I started working, there has never been a day off work from typhoon number eight. I think I'm just a bearer of bad luck to all right yeah. callers everywhere. I think
0: Lee Ka is is doing it specifically to vex you. He said, Oh, that, that, that Kevin Ma guy, you know, uh, I just don't like the cut of his jib. So uh, he's working now, and I'm going to make sure he doesn't have any time off.
1: Damn you, Li Ka sheng But you run my internet, so I can't. Okay, forget it. Yeah, we can't say that too loudly,
0: or yeah. we might get. Uh, we might have a bandwidth cap put on us. Um, <laughs> so, but we're not here to talk about typhoons and conventions and uh, lots of other things. We are here mostly to talk about movies. And this week we've got two films to talk about. What are those films, Mister Ma?
1: Uh, this week we have the ace drama Love for Life uh, from China, and we have, of course, the Green Lantern.
0: Ah, uh, yes, the Green. Green Lantern. We'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later. Uh, But first, why don't we talk a little bit about some news? (laughs) All right, so we've got a couple news stories to talk about this week. Uh, I've been trying to do a little bit of digging, and I found a couple news stories of interest uh, over at our favorite site, Film Biz Asia. Um, this first bit of news is talking about uh some of the one of the panels that was being held at the Shanghai International Film Festival. Um which some might call this SIF. I'm not sure if we'd wanna use that uh as as a as an what is it, an acronym or not. But, it Sounds like a
1: prison crime, you know. I sift him.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe. Uh, if, you, if we say too many negative things, that uh, might be the case. But this, uh, this is a really interesting article, uh, a lengthy article, com- compared with some of the articles that uh, they put up on Film Biz Asia. Uh, It's coming from Stephen Kremen, and it's talking about this group of panelists um, that were put together to talk about discovering the next film genre. Um, and he, the, the article's a little bit critical, saying that the session was marred by too many panelists weak moderation and a general lack of focus before a meteor second half. Um, the first group consisted of people like uh Yi Zhang, uh Starlight International Media Group President, um Song Guangcheng, uh film director Dian Eng, and uh financial journalist Zhang Jinhua. Um those names probably mean somebody mean something to some people, um only a couple of them, a couple of those names mean anything to me. But um they They started talking about okay what is the what is sort of the problem with the industry and each of the speakers kind of had their own their own comments and their own take um You can go through it and you can read the article uh the one that sort sort of caught my eye it was that uh song Wongchang the uh president of Starlight International Media Group, he said that basically Chinese filmmakers cannot compete with Hollywood blockbusters like avatar um and that um um he says although there are some modern films like Golala Go and Eternal Moment that have box office successes, um many more have suffered huge huge losses and then in general to investors they are too high risk. Um I'm not sure if I really agree with with him in, in that aspect. Uh, I don't know, what do you think Kevin? Do you, would you agree with his his points of view on that?
1: I wouldn't agree because I mean look at Lots Bladesman. that movie underperformed. Um general also... Os- also, because historical films, they they involve um, more elaborate sets and uh, sometimes action. So you have more, you know, you have to hire a bigger crew and things like that. They end up having a higher budget, I think, on average than these romantic comedies. I think Go La La Go, Internal Moment, these were made on a fairly low budget and they ended up being, you know, big successes, uh, not only because they scored a lot of money at the box office, but because they their budget didn't really make them high risk pictures. Um they're in fact, they're, they're probably a bigger budget was spent on marketing the film. Um, and you know, and actually, you have these modern films that are more open to things like product placements, so actually, they are lower risk, mm-hmm. I think. Well,
0: they, they go into the article, goes on to talk about the second group of panelists that came up, um, which they had labeled as the more meatier section, and this group included people like uh, Manfred Wong from Hong Kong, um, and film directors Jia Zhangke and Zhang Yibai, Manfred Wong had some interesting things to state, and he, he, sort of represented, um, uh, you know, some of the positions that I, I take when I look at the concept of genre, um, in, in mainland China, China, he said, he says, I can't talk still, ah, he says basically that, uh, historical martial arts movies and low-budget films represent the only two genres, um, in, In uh, mainland China although I think to call low-budget film as a genre in and of itself is not really um, a a strong classification okay so sure you can say they've got martial arts movies but low-budget film I mean there are low budget martial arts movies and there are low budget romantic comedies and there are low budget political films and there are low budget dramas and all of them you know tend to attract people a little bit differently Um, but he says that the smaller films cannot be easily classified, and that um a lot of times that there are some breakthroughs, and he talks about films like The Message and also Go La La Go, Eternal Moment, and Wind Blast. Um he says these prove that genre films can catch the attention of the Chinese audience. He says the biggest handicap is censorship, wherein um the restrictions say that you know the good guys, policemen have to be good guys, ghosts are forbidden. Um, unmarried couples cannot live together. And, you know, political issues such as forced resettlement or other things are off limits. Um, And we've talked about those issues before. They go on to talk a little bit in the article about, uh, for example, painted skin and how there's sort of this blurry line. So in painted skin, you can have demons and you can have monsters, but you can't have ghosts. And they talk about some of the reasons why, where the official position says that you know, ghosts are forbidden because they're afraid that the uneducated people in rural areas will start believing in ghosts. But you know, okay, so if they're gonna believe in
1: ghosts, won't they believe in monsters? I mean, actually, I think the exact quote is that um, the, the the government official, because I think that's uh, I read the Chinese quote, is that the official said these people believe in ghosts because it's part of their superstition, but they won't believe in demons. That's, yeah. a, that's a that's the thing The monsters they they don't believe because you know they're these these animal monsters, but they'll believe in ghosts because it's part of their everyday superstition superstitious uh on uh, every yeah. day you know you got incense things like that so uh, to them a ghost is more believable than a, than an animal turning into a monster, which i guess i think I'm not sure if it makes more sense which is kind
0: of weird because if you do understand the nature of sort of ancestor worship and spirituality and Chinese religion that includes things like you know demons and uh, animal spirits and you know the the realms of transcendence or or what have you in, in that touches on buddhism and reincarnation and those kinds of things but you know that's mm-hmm. a that's a whole different area like i said it's a it's a blurry kind of a line mm-hmm. um i've never really accepted their 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 concepts and, and we've talked about before the time where I, I think i mentioned where i went to an arcade somewhere in shenzhen and you know, in the arcade, guys were playing stuff like House of the Dead, <laughs> you know, with uh, zombies and ghosts and stuff. And and that's okay, but in movies, it's not okay. So there's a lot of gray um, in this. But at the same time, for example, uh, gamers who play World of Warcraft probably know that in China, uh, the World of Warcraft version is different from that played in Taiwan and in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And that Blizzard, the company that creates and owns world of warcraft had to go in and remove the undead class and remove the ghosts um they didn't remove the class but they they made the class look less undead um Mm. so for example in in the u.s version the undead they have joints sticking out and you can see parts of their bones and things and i think in the chinese version that's all covered up it's just all the the, they look like blue people basically Mm -hmm. um and they've taken out the ghosts and things so there is a lot of kind of weird censorship that goes on, but it, it all comes back to the idea of censoring film as sort of the major medium here, and these things, you know, um, are kind of blurry, right? mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I kind of agree. I w- would have really loved to have gone and, and sat in on this, um, this thing I, in that I think that they really need to, if they're going to have a new genre... They need to be able to expand things. I mean, we're, one of the things, one of the films we're going to be talking about next week is, what is it? The 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 great revival
1: of reviving. Beginning or... of the great revival. Yeah, I yeah. mean,
0: come on. And the the rumor that I've heard is that they're not going to play Transformers three unless this film makes X amount of dollars or has X amount of attendance. Is
1: that is that cr- correct? Eight hundred million, remember, beat. I think that's the. Um... No, of course, no one from China Film Group has come out and said this, but it's a pretty—it's um, a rumor that's pretty much been talked into being fact. Yeah. Is that China Film Group, because they control the foreign films anyway, they won't allow um, Transformers and Harry Potter uh, playing Chinese screens until until it makes 100 million hundred million RMB, which is pretty much guaranteed anyway. So it's—I'm um, not sure what the yeah, but that's you know, it's for face.
0: Yeah. So, Um, so yeah, there's, I think we've talked about the issue of censorship before. Um, it's still a very convoluted issue to, to say the least, but really an excellent article. If you go through and you read through it, you can see a lot of the other comments from some of the other panelists, um, and, and, and some of the other things they had to say. But in in summary, basically the, for me, the most important parts were those aspects of censorship and the the idea that they're not going to be able to obviously, compete with, you know, Hollywood films, at least right now, unless they start to change the nature of their industry. Um, and with things like this, with, with setting sort of a cap or holding hostage, basically, um, you know, the release of one film, unless another film does well, um, it's certainly, it's certainly making investment in Chinese films, kind of risky, kind of, you know, from, especially from the outside looking in. And there was an earlier article from a couple weeks ago, I want to say, also on Film is Asia, talking about uh, Rupert Murdoch, who I guess was one of the keynote speakers at the festival, who came out and talked a little bit about um, the need for sort of a free market approach and opening the industry, not only to more films to come in as imports, but also for more investors to be able to come in and, and play a role. And of course, if That's going to happen. There's going to have to be some changes to the censorship law as well.
1: I don't think China really understands the idea of globalization yet, because you know, if you're, they want to take the benefits of globalization, you know, economics, um, technology, things like that. Um, But they don't want to. They don't want to pay the price of having to connect, which is which is having this common standards. Yeah around the world. And unfortunately,
0: and- they're in the position where they can get what they want right now because everybody, you know, a- as sort of the the manufacturer of the world right now, everybody wants in. And so everybody's mm-hmm. willing to make concessions of some sort, right?
1: But of course, if everybody wants in, then you then you have to you also have to take a criticism because I mean China is under is undercome under 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 a lot of criticism for various things you know now social problems now, uh, food safety and uh, um, different things like that from foreign media and they want they want the benefit but they can't take the criticism so it's it's kind of a weird game China is playing here it's almost like they're testing how long they can keep going like this until the bubble pops until the world finds somewhere better, they'll play along better, they'll play the game better in yeah. China, and then the bubble will pop. Yeah, and
0: it's going to be interesting times when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, well, let's go on to our second news story this week. Um, the film Guillotines has gotten a new director. Uh, this from a short article by Patrick Freider, also over at Film Biz Asia. Um, Andrew Lau has been labeled as the new director, uh, replacing Teddy Chen. I think we talked a little bit about Teddy Chen stepping down a couple weeks ago in a news report, um, and so the fifteen million dollar film is now set to sort of um, get get a reboot with Andrew Lau as the uh, in the lead role, in, not the lead role, but as the leader of the production process. Um, it has been renamed; it, they changed the name from the Flying Guillotines to sort of give it some distance from the original. Um Shaw Brothers uh classic film, uh done in 1975. And basically this follows a group of uh Ming dynasty um uh assassins who are then ambushed and become uh hunted themselves, we might say. Um I'm I'm really looking forward to this film. I I loved the originals. I've always thought that the concept of the Flying Guillotine was was kind of cool. Um it's been kind of redone in, in different films in lots of different ways i mean you could look at for example um odd job from the james bond movie and his sort of flying bowler hat that cuts people off is kind of a a similar concept although you know operationally it doesn't function in the same manner um but yeah i mean decapitations who doesn't love those right
1: i have absolutely no faith in any andrew Lau film anymore um just it's kind of worn me down over the years and then you have legend of the fist and then you have a beautiful life and it just sort of these he just keeps making worse and worse movies over the years and I'm, I'm quite distressed that that now he's taken over this film um there's a lot of speculation flying around uh about teddy chan and peter chan again because um uh, teddy chan um obviously had clashed or had problems with Peter Chan uh, on the set of Bodyguards and Assassin to the point where um, Teddy Chan had a relapse of his depression and Andrew allowed to step in as a, as a director for a while. Um, so speculation about how why Teddy Chan had to step down again. Uh, both both Chans, uh, or Chan and Chan have both come out and and actually address these rumors directly and 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 try to play off, uh, play down these words of a feud or a clash, whatever words you want to use. Um, I am not going to speculate what it is. Um, I am a little disappointed Teddy Chan has left the project because I think that considering Bodyguards and Assassin was his pet project and he stuck to the film to the end. Um, I think that he made a quite a, a strong, solid film, even though, even under Peter Chan and, and whatever happened on set there. Um, so but now is just um, I don't know what's going to happen to the film. Um, Peter do, Chan has, do we
0: have a, do we have a cast list for this film at all?
1: Uh, Huang Xiaoming, I think, uh, Ethan Ren, who was in uh, manga, and those are the two names I remember. Uh, but actually, Peter Chan has also said, remember when they stopped filming and when they stopped the project in April, it was due to script issues. Um, they were rewriting the script. They were going to take the script in a new direction. Um, and Peter Chan has actually said that the script is still being worked on, and mm. it has to absolutely has to start in August. He has no, he hasn't confirmed that the script is the script is done. And he said that if actually they don't start in August, then they have to change the cast, and they already spent millions of dollars working, training the cast, and getting these things done. And they absolutely have to start in August. So right now, even so you the think film they're going
0: to not- bring on bring on any any bigger hitters than than what's currently assigned? I mean, any chance we're going to get like a, a Donnie or a Louis Coo in there?
1: No, I think they that's why they toned down the budget to fifteen million, uh, because they know they were working with a younger cast, younger less internationally known cast um i'm guessing just why the budget is down that's why peter chan isn't working on this himself um and i'm guessing the characters i guess require that certain age um through the many reasons um so right now just you know we hope even the, the start date isn't really exactly confirmed by peter chan yet um so we'll see what happens to the film I and mean, you might still not be able to start in august.
0: You know what the problem is is they I mean I I don't I'm not totally I, I haven't seen a beautiful life so I'm not as down on Andrew Lau as everybody else yet. <laughs> <laughs> yet, I stress. <laughs> well, you um should be. <laughs> but uh you know with a film like this my choice would have been to go with um our guys from Gallants, you know. Yeah, um, but I, Yeah. I, cuz yeah, that's what yeah. this film needs. Everybody knows you know if 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 you're into the the Shaw kung fu films at all i'm sure you've seen the flying guillotine and if you're going to go see this film about a device that cuts people's heads off um you're you're, you're probably going to have some connection to that and i think because of that they need that sort of you know uh, uh kitschiness that was very well done in um you know in gallant's I think that would work here. If 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 they just go through a sort of a a serious kind of Legend of the Fist take, I'm not sure it's going to work.
1: Well, here's the thing. They're sinking all the $15 million, just pretty big for, it's considered blockbuster budget in, in China. They're sinking in this film. They have to make something mainstream out of it. They can't make something quiche. Um, even though I'm sure I agree that it would be interesting to see a different take on it. Um, Derek Hawk and Clement Chan as great as they did on Gallon's, they're they not proven commercial filmmakers that can handle a big set like Andrew Lau has done in the last couple of decades. I mean, Stormriders, uh, well, even Legend of the Fist, just decades of experience on these big budget films. Now, forget that, whether they were any good or not. Um, the fact that Andrew Lau stepped in and took Bodyguards and Assassin um, and, and the way that he, he, he helped finish that project, I mean, it just means that, you know, Peter Chen needed someone that's safe that would get the project done. Um, and Andrew Lau, unfortunately, is that pick. Um, he's not a particularly good director, but I'm sure he gets things done. So, I mean, that that could be the reason behind choosing Andrew Lau.
0: All right. Well, you've got a couple other news stories for us, Kevin.
1: Yes, sir. Um, beginning of the Great Revival, the what I call the Parte for Party movie, the the film that celebrates the 90th anniversary of the Communist Chinese Communist Party, opened this past week in China. Woohoo! And um, everyone probably was expecting, you know, baffle, using like variety speak, baffle um, box office numbers. And unfortunately, it kind of underperformed. Um, There's going to be a little bit of uh, number talking, so I'm going to speak a little slower. Um, The film opened on Wednesday, June uh, 15th in China. Uh, In the first five days, it played, um, it had 89,160 shows. Um, we're going to compare that with things like Let the Bullets Fly, which had about 60,000 shows the first four days. Um, uh, if you're the one Two, which had, uh, about 61, 62,000 shows in the first five days as well. Um, in comparison, um, actually founding or beginning of a great revival made barely or just a little over half that gross. Uh, it made 116 million B over five days. Um, that is not a weak gross by any means. Um, it, you know, it's it's a good number. It broke a hundred million RMB mark. Um, but in comparison, again to films like Let the Bullets Fly, and and if you're the one too, Let the Bullets Fly made one hundred and eighty-one million RMB in four days from sixty-three thousand shows. Now that's um, twenty thousand less shows, one less day, seventy millions more. So obviously it's a little – you could even call this a kind of a disappointing opening. Uh, I think Kozo put it best when he called it the Green Lantern of of China <laughs> because it pulled an impressive number. But if you put it into perspective, you put it into context, it's actually kind of a weak number for such a big film. I mean not, not even – I'm trying to check here. I don't think even Harry Potter got 89,000 showings, um, 89,000 shows in the first – in the first couple of days. how's
0: how it stacking up to its predecessor?
1: It it actually grows less than its predecessor, and its predecessor had about half amount of that showing mm. in the first three days. I think that one made about 130 million, 140 million uh, in four days with forty two thousand showings. So obviously um, I think a lot of this these, these this growth is coming from um, Uh, reports that uh, the government organizations uh, schools they're essentially shipping these people during work hours to go watch the film uh, and charging them of course uh, ticket price ticket uh, tickets Uh, i'm not sure where the money's coming from wherever it's coming from who i don't want to know um but i i think that i wouldn't go as so far as to call it disappointment or a flop because there's no way a film made um, by a government a state supporter organization to 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 celebrate the party is going to flop. Uh there are 80 million communist party members in China. If every one of them has to watch the film, um, even 50% of those people watch the film at at $36 a ticket, you have you know it it'll, it'll break that, it'll break it'll go double that 800 million yuan B mark for sure. So um I ha- I'm speculating, I'm guessing that they're trying to play the the long-term publicity game where they'll keep these grosses up for the next couple of weeks around the same level without much of a drop-off and give that big weekend to the July 1st um, Communist Party anniversary. Um, I think that would be the big peak for this box office. And um, I wouldn't go... So I think it's a little weak opening. It's not good publicity for China, China Film Group, but they're definitely not worried about anything right now. Um, you know... It's going to make money. Forget it.
0: Yeah. And it will be making your money this week, right?
1: No, sir. I am not paying a cent to this film. What? I will find my way to watch this. Um, There will be legal streaming free later on in Chinese internets. And I will find a way to watch it there. I am not. Due to my personal political principles, I am not paying a dollar to watch beginning of the great revival oh you and your principles! i know what can that I just say? means I... i'm
0: gonna have to watch it and review it next week
1: <laughs> i i missed you know i missed the trey heart the hour long trey and q a which breaks my heart uh on june 4th because i was at victoria park so that tells you where where am i where my you know my principles stand. Eh, you're such a radical yes sir. All right, what
0: other what other news do you have for us sir
1: all right, uh another news, um, Jacob Chan, the director of Battle of Wits, um, uh, a cage man, a Hong Kong director, now working in China, his latest film, Rest on Your Shoulders, um, was in competition in the Shanghai Film Festival, where um, there was quite a bit of controversy. Uh, first, the film was shipped in the last minute to the festival, and for some reason... Um, the the festival or the or the distributors uh, put the film in the smallest house in the theater, which is kind of a strange uh, thing. Uh, they they have restricted a lot of access to the film. Uh, rumors were floating that uh, the distributor was trying to keep the lid on the film because of possible bad reviews. Um, actually, Hollywood Reporter has reviewed the film and was fairly moderate to positive but anyway the the, the the version of the film screen was a 120 minute version the i think that's the version that the director jacob chan he had preferred but the distributor apparently told him that they will they would be cutting the film to a, to a 90 minute version uh for its theatrical release on july 8th and that um jacob Chern was not happy about that and he essentially uh withdrew himself from any uh, advertising or from any promotion at the festival, and threatened to pretty much disown the film. So now the distributor has um, compromised and agreed to allow the 120-minute uh, version to be screened for the regular release. Um, this has sparked debate um, on in the film industry, I think, about uh, how much producers and distributors have power over directors, and whether directors should have final cut. Um, China's, the Chinese film industry is a very strong investor-slash-producer-slash-boss-run industry where um, a lot of directors, unless you're big, you know, like Zhang Wen or um, Trey Hark, even Trey Hark had, had problems, um, or, you know, bigger directors, Feng Xiaogang, for example, where he's a, a stockholder in his own company or in, the, in, the, in his distributor. Um, whether these directors have any power, any say over the cut of their film. Uh, I think this is a very interesting uh, victory for director side. Um, I'm not sure whether how 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 greener or younger directors will will be able to ch- have the chance to score victories like this. I mean, Jacob Chen is a very fairly veteran director. The film is fairly high profile. It stars Gigi Lun, Lun Mei, uh, I think Alice Chan. um those couple, of, you know, fairly big stars, and, and it's actually a fairly big budget film. I think it costs sixty million B. So obviously there's a lot at stake, and um and I think that's exactly why this case is such a high profile case. Um, but you know, I'm glad for Jacob Chen. Um, he he has won this round, and I hope uh the film is good when it's released in China in July eighth. We here in Hong Kong won't get it for a few months, so I might you know go check out in China just to support Jacob Chen.
0: Mm. Yeah, that seems to be the the uh standard operating procedure these days where we get films later and later. Uh, maybe a oh. discussion, a deeper discussion for another time. Yes. All right. It is time to move on to our film segment. Hey. Ready. Ready. Oh. Yeah, so for East Screen this week, We have the latest feature from Aaron Kwok and Zhang Ziyi called Love for Life. Um, And unfortunately, I have not seen this film as yet. So, Kevin, it's in your court. Why don't you tell us a
1: little bit about Love for Life and some of your thoughts? Sure. Uh, Love for Life is the latest film from director Gu Changwei. He was the uh, cinematographer for Zhang Yimou. And he made his film debut uh, with a film a couple years ago called Peacock. Um, I think that was a fine film. Uh, I think this is his third feature film. And uh, this film has quite a tumultuous history, so to speak. Um, for example, um, I have a reliable source that tells me that Christopher Doyle was kicked off the set after three days of work, even though he's credited as cinematographer here. Uh, and after the film was done, um, Gu Changwei was forced to cut his original 150-minute cut down to the current 100-minute version. Um and I'll go into what, what seems to have been deleted a little bit later. But I'll first go into the um, story of the film. The main theme here in the film is about a rural town in China in the early 90s um, that, I guess, one of the many rural towns in China that caught on, apparently, to a blood transfusion fever where they could make money by selling blood. And as a result, uh, many people in this town has um, contracted AIDS. Uh, now, this Early '90s, which is still the early days of the AIDS um, virus, I guess the, the proliferation or the the spread of AIDS. So many people are calling it fever, uh, the fever. They don't know they don't know what it really is. They don't really know how people get it. So you have a lot of these um, AIDS fear. So um, the father of the man responsible uh, decides to uh, open up the school, the this mountain school, just outside of town, and and uh, guarantees to house any, any AIDS patients um, that are willing to join them there. Just, just, he will, they will be taken care of. So at the beginning of the film, these people are moving into this school that has now turned into an AIDS patient's compound. Um, then the film gets into a romance between De Yi, the younger brother of the uh, dirty businessman, um, and Qingqing, Qing, uh played by Zhang Ziyi. Uh, a woman who was contracted AIDS and was kicked out of the house by her husband. And she now moves into this uh, school for shelter. Um, and we find out a little bit more about the other people in the compound. Um, and of course, uh Qing Qing and De Yi, they, they fall in love. Um, however, De Yi and Qin are both married to different people. And there's a lot of back and forth about getting uh, how, how they had to resolve traditional family issues to, to, fulfill their love uh but of course you know they have AIDS so we kind of know what happens in the end anyway um like I said earlier the film was cut down by 50 minutes so I will tell you now if you see the trailer and you see all these things about selling blood and and um how the um the bad businessman try to convince everyone to sell blood all that stuff is gone the entire film has no first act. We go straight into the point where the entire town has been infected already. And um, it's almost like we're joining the film in a second act. Um, there's a young boy who plays a narrator. Uh, he's actually the dirty businessman's son. He dies at the beginning of the film and he becomes the narrator. And in a way, it's almost like he's narrating the deleted scenes or whatever they cut out in the middle of the story. So the result is Wait a, a minute. very... He's,
0: he's dead. He's dead but and he's, he's narrating. narrating. Doesn't from, that make from him a ghost?
1: Brain. Yes, he's narrating from <sighs> heaven or whatever. Essentially, <laughs> no, I'm sure Gu Changwei would be like, actually, he, he he's the only guy who watched deleted scenes, so he has to be a narrator. So, so he's narrating these things that he's putting in the missing pieces. So the result is a very fragmentary film. It leaves a lot of things unsaid, it cuts out things, um, it almost has absolutely no character backstories whatsoever. Um, you don't even know that Aaron Qua- uh, Zhang Zi's character is actually the wife of Aaron Kwok's cousin until 30 minutes into the movie of a 100 minute movie, which it, it, the whole, this whole relationship plays such a big part. It's such, it plays such a big role in the story, but we don't find out find this out until 30 minutes into the film because everything is cut into fragments. Um, and the result is that the film emphasizes on the romance a lot, but the romance isn't that fully realized because there's certain things they have to cut, including sex scenes um and i'm sure anything that might offend the government uh and also anything you had to cut for pacing and now the film starts off in a very emotionally heavy place you have a kid that's dead you have the entire town that realizes they their aids won't be cured and then it has really strange bits of comedy like there's a pig that runs around town um there's you know these bits about these ignorant villagers you know uh, treating or or yeah, treating these AIDS patients, uh, glaring at them and things like that. A lot of people are unlikable here, just because they're kind of the ignorant type, both AIDS patients and the townspeople. And I hate to say it, at one point I just kind of rooted for AIDS. You know, <laughs> I was like, these these people are so unlikable. It's no, like Kevin. You you figured you know these things would change their lives, make them make them better people or things like that. No, it doesn't. It makes them terrible people. Um. And the way it depicts AIDS is very strange because it's almost like you could really take out the AIDS and make it into a film about futuristic, mysterious foreign plague that hits China and people would just stop, start dropping dead left and right. Like and maybe that's how. SARS. Like SARS, yeah, you know, or or swine flu, or even um, even uh, the monkey thing in Outbreak. I think <laughs> it is people just people just drop dead, and it's really weird because if I remember. Um, my education, AIDS patients don't die like that. Mm. Um, It's just a very strange depiction of AIDS. I'm not sure why that is. Um, It's either because they don't want to get into the whole idea of why the government covered um, the the, the idea of AIDS in the country, how they covered it up all these years, and how um, AIDS is a state secret, and how you can never get... You know, things like that, anything that would lead to government criticism, I think they just kind kind of not even dealt with it. Um... So they wouldn't have to be banned, or they wouldn't have to cut anything out. Um, so the AIDS thing becomes a romance that is, that has melodrama about familiar traditional values. The whole thing is about there's a big portion of the film about you know getting the the the, the divorce necessary to fulfill the marriage, and the whole how do people how the townspeople look down at them because they're having an extramarital affair, um, and you know this has again nothing to do with the plague. Also a better a better film last year called um, Apart Together did this thing a lot better. Um, so it just doesn't really work here. Um, the romance, again, doesn't really work either. It's just a really strange romance because at one point, uh, at multiple points actually after that, the Aaron, uh, De Yi and Qin, Qin literally address each other as mommy and daddy. And I don't mean like, like my kid's mommy or my kid's daddy. They literally call each other mommy and daddy. Um, and it's supposed to be sweet, which is, uh, very strange. Um, I, I have to say that this time I usually, you know, I'm fairly, um, critical of Chinese cinema, um, political agendas, things like that, aftershock. Um, you know, I'm fairly critical of Chinese films and this time I really wanted a longer film. I think somewhere in there, Love for Life, which was actually earlier had a better title called Till Death Do Us Part, um there's a better film somewhere in there. Um, Even with these bits, that strange bits that are still in the movie, I believe a longer cut would have made a slightly better movie because then you finally get an idea who these characters are, especially the villain of the piece, the the guy who caused everything. He just sort of shows up once in a while and do bad things. Um, You know, I really want a longer film this time, not because of political agendas, because for once, this damn movie might make sense. You know, right, right here, you just get an empty shell or empty pieces of of a puzzle that seems not completed. And it's a very strange film. And I don't know why the distributor would approve this film to be played in the cinemas at all. Uh, So right now, in this current version, I would say flee it. Even if you're fans of the actors, because Aaron Kwok is kind of strange here. Uh, I think he tries his best. Zhang Ji looks way too glamorous for this kind of role. The acting, I think, could have been better if we had a better idea of who their characters are, who these people are. So um, even if you're a fan of these people, I would say flee it until you find the longer version, a more completed or the intended version of the film um, the version that we were intended to see. Uh, right now, I think Love for Life, it's only worth seeing on TV as a curiosity. Um, Do you think, think we're going
0: to get that version later?
1: No, the director has said that he wants to take a break and the missing fifty minutes actually hasn't been... Um, Properly done yet? Because they mix, they, they haven't been mixed. They had this, there's apparently special effects involved. They haven't been done, so um, he has no idea what he's going to do with this this missing footage. The DVD, I think it's coming out in China already, and it's the regular theatrical release. Um, and the film didn't do really that well in China, so I have no idea if, if the completed cut will ever see the live day. So that just really makes this uh, a huge, major wasted opportunity, I think, for Gu Changwei. All right.
0: Let's take a short break. Back to talk about our West Green film for this week, and that is the latest comic book feature, Green Lantern, uh, directed by Martin Campbell, who you may have seen earlier films of, including things like uh, the two Zorro films, The Mask of Zorro from 1998, and its sequel, The Legend of Zorro from 2005. Um, he's also done a couple James Bonds, including GoldenEye in 1995, and the reboot of the series, uh, Casino Royale. In 2006, based on that bit of filmography, uh, I was kind of expecting a slightly slightly different film here uh, than what we got with Green Lantern. Uh, this film stars Ryan Reynolds as the titular character. Um, also among the cast: Blake Lively, Peter Sarsgaard, and Mark Strong, Angela Bassett, and Tim Robbins, uh, rounding out the cast. So, what is Green Lantern about? Well, if you've read the comic book at all, you know that it is a character, um, comic book-based character in the DC universe, uh, including among such characters as Batman, Superman, uh, The Flash, Wonder Woman. And Green Lantern is a character who gets his powers from a power ring that is charged by a Green Lantern. And those powers manifest themselves as sort of green forms of force, which are projected out by the will of the user. In this case, a user named hal jordan um hal jordan is a pilot and he stumbles across a crashed alien spacecraft one day um of a of a dying green lantern who then gives him his ring and he's told that the ring has basically chosen him uh to take up the fight and so the story follows him on his adventure as he learns about the duties of the green lanterns and the threat to his home planet of earth um yeah, so, I mean, that's basically it. It's a, it's an origin story. If you know the character, you kind of know the origin already. If you grew up watching things like uh, Super Friends or any of the other uh, DC cartoons over the years, you've probably come across the character in some way, shape, or form. Um, if not, well, it's an origin story. Um, no! Yeah, you've got a heroic character um, learning to cope with his powers and the responsibility that goes with them. Uh, You know, the typical tropes and plot hooks are there. There's a love interest. um, There's an emergent evil that must be stopped. Um, There's the initial rejection by, uh, you know, the the character that are all sort of comic book tropes that we're very familiar with. I mean, uh, the problem here is boring villains. I mean, usually when you think of Green Lantern, you think of his arch rival, um, which I won't name here, because he he's kind of in the film, um, but if you're not familiar with Green Lantern, it'd be a little bit of a spoiler. You're not talking about the fart cloud, are you? <laughs> yeah, the fart cloud. <laughs> um, yeah, the the, the the fart cloud is uh, Parallax, who is a who is a major villain in sort of the Green Lantern history, um, but he's not really the the villain I wanted to see here. Um, we're given hints of that villain in the end credits. I'll, I'll say that. Um, and even those hints, they, they kind of break with the, the traditional the traditional history uh, that's in the comic books, even though that's kind of been rebooted and rewritten many times. Um, the CGI here, if you've seen some of the CGI in, in the trailers, not all that nice looking, actually. Um, mm-hmm. This is a 3D slash 2D film um, in that it's not 3D all the time. It is 2D some of the time. Um, so again... You're not getting what you pay for if you're paying for a full 3D price. Um, th- there's been a lot of criticism about this film. We'll say um, getting a lot of negative reviews, a lot of uh, fan criticism as well. It's not the worst superhero movie ever made. Um, it's just sort of by the numbers. It, you know, it's like if you're gonna, you know, p- paint by the numbers, and all the numbers are green. <laughs> in this <laughs> case, it's a. Uh, it's but it is really far from the top. One of the things that um we've talked we've talked a little bit about before and I would really like to get into a discussion with um you know somebody who's well versed in comic books. Um we had we were supposed to have a guest on last time, Casey Lau. He's agreed to come back on the show. Um he said if this was a really st- a stinker movie and it is, um by his by his take, uh, he would rather come on later for Another movie like Transformers, so we will ha- hopefully have him on in the future. Um, but talking about this movie with with other comic book aficionados, um, it's just not it's just not there in terms of the tone uh, with other DC universe films like um, Batman Begins or The Dark Knight. That's such a different quality of film, and this doesn't fit. And but if you look at what Marvel's doing. Uh, most of what they've done seems to fit, seems to mesh well. For example, you could very easily see Thor going into Iron Man, or you could see Iron Man going into uh, X-Men or X-Men First Class. And again, we'll see we'll see more when we see the Captain America, the first Avenger in a few months' time. Um, but I have a suspicion that that will have that same kind of tone, that same kind of feeling. I would not expect to see Ryan Reynolds popping up in, you know, the... Uh, the the third Batman film, The Dark Knight Rises. Um, so there's definitely a tonal problem that they're having with the DC films that they don't seem to be having so much with the Marvel films. I'm not sure why that is. Um, there have been other problems with the properties too. There was a Wonder Woman film that was supposed to be made and then it was supposed to become a TV series and that's been shelved. Um, you can actually go out there and find some of the promo stills from that and, and a short teaser clip from that didn't look all that great. Um, so I'm not sure why DC is having this trouble. A lot of people have said it's because of rights issues and and different things like that. And they're actually doing a whole comic series reboot at some point later in this year to where they're resetting all of the comic titles back to issue number one. Um, uh, and in doing that, they're also rolling out um, all of the issues being available on day of release as digital versions. So for people who have subscriptions on the iPad or the iPhone or other digital readers, you'll be able to get them on the same day as the physical copies. So a lot of people are kind of excited about that, but a little bit wary of the fact that they're resetting everything. Some Mm. people speculated that maybe this is because they're trying to get a handle on the properties again. And going forward, there's been rumors about a Justice League movie that would be something that's separate for example it's not going to have the Christian Bale Batman they're already talking about even though the third movie hasn't come out a Batman reboot you know we're not we're not even through this trilogy and they're already talking about a future trilogy and of course you've got the Superman movies um a new trilogy supposedly out there in the works now um so
1: Kevin what did you think of this um I'm not familiar with this world but um you know I was discussing comic book movies uh, with koza who knows a lot more than me about these kind of things and we made comparison we, we made a comparison between marvel and dc uh especially uh, the film specifically uh if you look at marvel they have done a very good job at keeping the the style and 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 creating this um this this world that connects through the films uh even though they bring on different directors they do have a similar you know style and you know you have crossovers but dc is a little more interesting for film buffs because they have different directors who bring their own style into their each story so you have christopher nolan doing uh bringing this new batman style uh and then you have um what what other dc super i mean you have brian singer doing you know another type of uh style you know superman and now we have you bring on martin campbell who is um known as an action director of, you know, practical things like James Bond movies uh, or Vertical Limit or Zorro, um, try to do the CGI films. Um, and for film buffs, more interesting to look at the results of these DC films because they're so different uh, film to film. Um, you know, but back to the film itself, um, you know, just another origin story, another wise-ass hero. I think it's almost like they're trying to do um, um, uh, Iron Man with a buffer with, with actor better abs or something, um, and a similar sense of hu- uh, sense of humor, but han- more handsome. Um, but it's kind of weird because you have Ryan Reynolds being silly, being combined with this this serious drama, a lot of um, a lot of uh, violence, and a lot of you know jumpy moments and things like that. Really loud. Um, was I, I guess I wasn't supposed to talk about the fart cloud, right, Paul? You don't want me to spoil it. No, no, no. That, 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 that's fine. Uh, relax. Okay. Yeah, but, hey, that, I think he would. He's, ma- he's
0: not the main villain people associate with green lantern but he's
1: like a major villain in the in the universe yes he is yeah he is okay okay um but yeah he 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 would have been a lot menacing if he was the way he was in the beginning of the film he was actually kind of um more than just a force he's like you have he had a figure he had a shape he he is something that he could beat something that people could beat but at the same time he's also you know really powerful but in the in the finale, he just turned this big fart cloud. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, he's really powerful, he's, and he's doing this thing, and, you know, people are dying. And But then you're just like, okay, it's, it's a fart cloud. <laughs> it's a big storm cloud. It's a big CGI thing that isn't, that isn't doing anything that's really convincing me. And he would have been cooler if he didn't just... He wasn't this, you know, thing, abstract thing that's floating around space for most of the story. Um, I think they crammed too much in, even you know as origin story um you have you know discovery of the ring I, actually i got to bring this up why did the ring choose the nearest american you know there are more i'm sure there no, are no, more no 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 it,
0: it, it he wasn't the nearest
1: okay well he's not the nearest but you know why did it have to be uh, i'm just bringing this up because i guess we're from asia so why did they have to be like from america yeah, why did well, the ring oh, choose that, an american
0: that, that that's a good that's a valid point and okay in the in the comics there are actually a couple of other uh, Green Lanterns that are that are selected at later times for okay. various reasons, but they're all Americans too, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I forget it.
1: Okay, but but you know, you have the whole selection process, and then you have the whole disbelief, and now, and the whole training, the training sequence doesn't start until halfway into the movie, and then you have that, and you have to deal with the villain, and things like that. You were cramming way too much into a 110-minute movie, and then everything kind of seems glossed over. Um, I was saying that Martin Campbell is a great director. He revived the James Bond franchise twice. I mean, GoldenEye, great Bond film. Uh, Casino Royale, also a great Bond film. But in both those films, he he's a much better, uh, even Zorro, he's a much better director of practical action in a way that he he makes sure that you see all the all these stunts. He makes sure you see everything that's going on. And he keeps the pacing very, he has a very good sense of pacing and things like that. But then you put him on a film where he's working on CGI spectacle, and he's not that kind of director. He's a director of very invisible style, and that's what the film kind of lacked. It lacked style. It lacked um, a clear vision that would set the film apart from other films. Um, that's not to say that Martin Campbell, you know, didn't do a didn't do a good job. I think he was fine. Or for for. For his you know filmography that he you know it, it kind of keeps him style. You do see a lot of things going on. he never gets into choppy choppy directing or choppy move camera movement and things like that. you see everything clearly, but it's just very uninspired um still, you know it's loud and it's dumb and it's a bit fun like I said, I like Ryan Reynolds enough that he had he had a good sense of humor and there's a bit uh, I like the humor in the film um even though love is the rest of the film is really ridiculous, and the tone doesn't really. It's not really even enough. It's kind of too jumpy at points, um, but I mean, I would, I would see, I would watch a sequel. Now that the origin story is out of the way, I would like to see, you know, where the story goes. Um, so in the end, you know, I would say TV it. Um, it's okay. It's not a bad film. I watched it in two D, so I have nothing to say about the three D. Uh, I pay half the price, so I got to watch two uh, D, um, and it was fine. Um, I wouldn't say the film is good in any way. Not in a way that I would say see it um but is it really that bad i don't sure what is so bad about it does kind of you know we excuse other films we excuse worse films before so you know i don't know what's the it's it's not bad enough to really inspire such hate it's not good enough to inspire praise but it's not to say that it's bad enough to inspire you know a 23% rating on rotten tomatoes yeah
0: i think it's just a case of what it does present is and we we mentioned this before, you know, the the some of the stuff they're doing on TV these days is really pushing the envelope in terms of what now films need to do. So, this would have been probably a great film, you know, 5 7 you know 10 years ago. Um but today it's a mediocre film. Mm-hmm. And given that fact, I think that that's very disappointing. Uh, some people have talked a little bit about the suit, and you know they kind of poke fun at the the the, the mask thing, and, and that was fine. Um, but the suit itself kind of was like it looked more like it belonged in Tron than than in this film. Um, I, I so yeah, it's it's not the worst superhero movie ever made, but like I said, it's it's really far from the top. I mean, with maybe. Fantastic Four Two or the original Fantastic Four movie by Roger Corman, slightly beneath it, <laughs> so it's not. Whoa! Did yeah, we just call the movie? Did <laughs> we just call the movie Roger, Roger Corman? Well, no, it's 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 above that, but it's okay. It's it's just not very good. I mean, it's um, and it's just not interesting. It's not doing anything really original, and effects wise, it's certainly doing nothing spectacular i mean some of the shots like there there was a couple matt shots with him and um um who's the actress uh blake uh, blake. blake lively where it's just like are you are you serious it's just you know it, it's not even an effect shot it's just like the two of them in front of a background and it looked really bad mm. you know it's like that Is i would expect to color? see that on smallville or on something on, you know, a, t- a TV show,
1: but not for a-, a big summer blockbuster film. Is it a 3D problem? Because as as I have heard, the the 3D effects were actually done literally weeks before the movie was finished. It, uh, was, it, it, was it might have been. I mean, again, I was, I
0: was popping my glasses on and off to see which scenes were actually in 3D and which were kind of fudging the 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it could have been, but... Um, I don't know. It was just, yeah, some of the some of the shots just were looking really kind of bland, and um, and and they just weren't fitting right in, in in some of the some of the ways they had, were trying to blend things together. So, hmm. you know, it's, again, it's not that bad. You could take, you know, if you're a big fan, go see it as a matinee. I'd say TV it um, if you find it in a bargain bin, or especially as a green light special. So there you go. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Green Lantern. Uh, Meh. (laughs) Meh. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen Podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. right let's see we got a couple comments on from our last episode uh david harris wrote in from the uk he said always wondered how jim chim was considered an acting guru given his almost entirely horrific screen work i've long suspected suspected that his works um that this thing that his thing works so much better on stage uh which is absolutely absolutely true for the most part i mean. As I mentioned last time, we were talking about uh, the film Microsex Office. Uh, the stage work that he does is really, really good. Um, it just, the whatever he's doing, The you know, maybe he needs a new pair of shoes or, or whatnot, the, the reasons he's picking certain films these days, um, the stuff he's doing just isn't working that well. Um, uh, the f- a follow-up from uh, Gary Lau says that, uh, you know, if you look at performances that he's done in things like AV or You Shoot, I Shoot um, men suddenly in black, or even, um, what was the, the Simon Yam one, uh, Exodus. About, right, yeah. uh, the little bit, yeah, he's uh, got Powell a, movies, he's yeah, got yeah. a really short, short, um, moment in there. He doesn't even have any dialogue, but he's, he's really awesome. He conveys, you know, the sense of what he needs to convey in that sh- very short scene. Um, so yeah, he does, he does have sort of these smaller standout performances, um, Interestingly, it's it's they're all Pang Ho Chung movies.
1: <laughs> Pang Ho Chung knows how to use him because you know? uh, because Jim Chim is really a stage guy. I mean, he he's educated for stage, um, and he's acted in stage. He teaches stage acting, and for some reason, no one told him that it wouldn't work on film. And I think Pang Ho Chung, you know, kept him in a way on a good leash, on on a, a tight enough leash that he wouldn't let him explode unless he needed to or he was necessary. Uh, But then the thing is, after that, no one no one had the guts or no one wanted to or no one could or to tell him to tone it down. And he just sort of just kept up with that neat that 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 thing that Mm -hmm. he's doing or the hell he's doing. Yeah. Don't know what it is, but
0: uh, yeah, tone it down, Jim. (laughs) All right. I think that's going to do it. That's a show. Right. Yeah. 71 is done. Um as always, a uh, big thanks to Kevin Ma for no, sir, putting up with uh, all the rubbish that I spew out on this uh, th- these episodes. Um, if you no, would sir. like to follow along though, you can follow us at our website at www.comcast.com and leave us some comments and we might just uh, talk about what you have to say here on the show or you can hop over to iTunes, of course, you can leave us some reviews. We'd love to have some five star reviews if you have the time and you like the show. Or you can just leave us some comments there and tell us some things you'd like to see done differently. We're welcome to any type of constructive criticism that you'd like to leave for us. You can follow the show at Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash concast. And you can follow the daily exploits of Kevin Ma over at twitter.com slash the golden rock. You can also Yay. email us directly at uh, the show at eastscreen at gmail.com. And if you'd like to, you can actually attach a short audio file and we might just play that here on the show as well. Um any green thoughts in your head right there Mr. Ma?
1: Um no, too, I guess a lot of the 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 people who do, you know, report news online and stuff like that, it's just, you know, speculating doesn't help your cause, uh, especially we don't have the right connections and just making assumptions. Um that you know, I'm not going to say again any specific sites, but yeah, just report the facts, guys. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts, ma'am. So. All right. And so are you going to be doing any reviewing this week? Not this week. Uh, London Boulevard is not playing in a UA cinema, so I will not, um, I will not be reviewing a film this week. Um, I will be reviewing Love for Life or lovehkfilm.com eventually. Um, when I finish whatever my current work for the rest of the month is. Uh, And hopefully, I will also do the Hong Kong indie film Glamorous Younf, and I think I will will review a couple more, 5, 10, 20 reviews, or something like that, too, to poor Mr. Kozo. So, we'll we'll see then. Yes.
0: All right. So, next time, episode 72, we'll be talking about uh, the latest Wang Jing film, Treasure Inn. I'm excited. And (laughs) the beginning of the Great Revival, which... As Mr. Ma has stated, he's not going to see. That means Sorry. I'm going to watch it, and I'll be giving you the scoop on the beginning of the ending of the what was it? The uh, the Qing Dynasty and the KMT and the launching of the thing that did the thing and opened the
1: thing and led to the great China we have today. <laughs> I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna. Le- I'm just gonna spoil the ending. They killed 200,000 people at Tiananmen Square. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) Oops, sorry. They put
0: melamine in the milk. They they arrested
1: the the guy who designed the Olympic stadium. Ah. Spoilers, spoilers. spoilers. Uh, Too much They let me in the country.
0: (laughs) They let me in to watch Kung Fu Panda (laughs) 2. Oh, the humanity. All right, so that's all for next time. Until then, as always, we will wish you good viewing and we'll see you next time.
1: See you next time, everybody.